we've started at the beginning and thought about the doctrine of creation and communication. Uh, why do we communicate and what's it for? And then we talked about the fall and the way that we talk. And really we saw a bad communication, a paradigm or a picture of the wrong kind of communication as we looked at the way Satan talked to Adam and Eve and the way Adam and Eve began to talk after they were deceived by Satan. And today we're going to think about the gospel and communication, the gospel and communication. But I wonder we can begin maybe uh, by just thinking back on our lives a little bit. And um, I wonder if you can think of a mess you made, you've made with your words, like a complicated mess you've made with your words. We've all made messes, I'm sure. But if you're like me, it's easy to forget, unfortunately. <laughs> I forget things really quickly. But we all know there are times when we've had serious problems communicating with others. Um, usually we think it's their fault, of course, but we've all had problems. And sometimes the reason, if we were going to try to analyze why did we have the problems communicating, sometimes the reason we had problems is because, uh, if we look back on our lives, it was because it was before we were Christians. And so if we try to break down what went wrong, sometimes the problem is just that we weren't a Christian, we didn't know Jesus, we weren't born again, and uh, we, we didn't have the Spirit of God living in us. And so, of course, we're going to have problems talking. Sometimes, though, it's not that simple because we look back and we, uh, we can see, yeah, we were saved when we made that mess. <laughs> we definitely were saved, but we had problems because we didn't know how to communicate well. So uh, communication is a skill. And there are, you can be better or worse at it. And uh, sometimes husbands, per perhaps, or wives, they, they get married and they never really had a good example of how to communicate and they don't um, necessarily know the skill of communicating well. I know, uh, for example, my dad grew up in a home that hardly ever talked. So all they did was work. <laughs> they, they, they worked, they ate, and they slept, basically. And he became a Christian and then he became a pastor and when I saw him last, he told me, he asked, he asked me, Josh, what, what's hardest for you as a pastor? And so I was trying to think of something. And then uh, I asked him, what was hardest for you as a pastor? And he said, what was hardest for him when he first became a pastor was visiting with people in their homes um, because he didn't know what to say. So he would uh, look at them and they would look at him and it was very awkward and um, he didn't know how to make small talk. He never saw anybody do small talk. He could talk for a long time, but usually like preaching, <laughs> and he didn't know how to do small talk, and so he had to really work at learning how to do that. Um, so sometimes we have problems communicating because we weren't Christians. Sometimes we had problems because we lacked information, um, and we had skills we had to learn, but I'm guessing if you look back, you have to admit that there also are some problems you experienced in your communication with others after you became a Christian and after you even came to knew, know a little bit about what the Bible says about communication. Uh, so you can look and say, yeah, I, I've, I've studied this subject a little bit. I, I have learned some skills. I am a Christian. I want to do what's right. And yet I'm still having problems in, in my relationships with others and the way that we communicate. And uh, we see that even as we read this, this particular book, Paul Tripp, the author of this book's book opens up this chapter by talking about some of the problems in his family 
when it comes to communication, and there's a lot of stories like that in the book. Even last week as we went home, Levi was saying, um, wow, this guy really has problems in his family talking. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, so he, re he talks about those problems so often that we might read about it and wonder, like, isn't he supposed to be the expert? You know, why am I reading this book if this guy has such a hard time um, with communication? What's wrong with him? Does he not know what he needs to know? Or is he not committed to putting those truths into practice? Which I think is actually the point and why he shares the struggles that he's had because he wants to illustrate that the problem with communication runs very deep. You can know a lot of the information that you're supposed to know and you can say that you wanna talk in a way that honors God and still struggle with communication. And that should be a hint that this is a pretty significant, significant struggle. If you can know a lot of information, if you can wanna communicate in ways that honor God and still fail in your communication, that means this is a pretty big struggle, which should be obvious, like that should be super obvious. And you would think that anybody who's ever had a relationship with anybody would realize, man, the problem I have with communication goes deep. But we love ourselves an awful lot. And if you look at how little effort people put into communication, like we can say, let's talk about communication, and we can only get a few people here. You know, if we, the, the little effort that people put into learning how to communicate well it's kind of obvious that it's not obvious. I don't find many people saying, I'm a bad communicator, help me. Most people assume that they're doing a pretty good job. And honestly, if they have problems and they come in for counseling, they may want help, but I'm telling you, they're, they're usually looking for easy solutions. Because we love easy solutions and people don't appreciate how deep the problem with communication goes, and so they're attempted to accept superficial solutions. So, you know, for example, imagine you're having problems in your family with communication and you go to a counselor and you're like, hey, help, help my husband or, you know, help me. And, and what do you want at that point? What do you want? What are your expectations if you go to a counselor? If you're like most people that come for counseling, you want him to give you strategies and you want him to give you techniques for being a more effective communicator. So like, tell me three things I need to do. If, if you ask that, that's amazing. Most people don't ask any questions, but, so, but if you do ask something, you say, tell me three things I need to do to talk to my daughter better or make her talk to me. Uh, just give me, give me the technique. And of course we can understand that because like we, need, we don't know everything we need to know and, and there are skills to learn. And when we're in a crisis, we want help quickly. So please don't give me a long sermon. Just tell me the right thing to say. Tell me how to get along with my kids. Give me like a checklist to follow, count to 10 or something. And we understand that desire. And there's a place for a specific help like that. But the problem is that sometimes when we're in a crisis, and sometimes even when we're not, we accept superficial solutions that don't really get to the heart of it, like temporary makeshift solutions. So it's kind of like, I think it's kind of like when a plumber comes over to your house and he looks at the problem you're having and he's like, you know what, this problem is so significant that we are going to have to go under the foundation of your house and we're going to have to give you all new pipes and to do that you're going to have to move out of your house for a couple months and it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you're like, uh, thanks, um, 
you can leave now and you get on your phone and you start looking on YouTube for like a simple solution involving duct tape or something, which sometimes can work for a little bit, but if the plumber's right, it's not gonna work for very long. And it's not gonna be very long before you're in massive trouble. And if Tripp is right, Paul Tripp is right about the depth of our communication problems, then we're gonna need somebody to give us uh, more than just a few techniques or a few strategies if we're gonna honor God in this area of our life. Because the problem, listen to me now, the problem is not just informational when it comes to the way we communicate with one another. The problem's not just that we don't have enough information. It's deeper. And I guess one reason why we're saying this at the beginning here is because I want you to, under to understand what we're doing as we talk about communication. If you don't understand how deep this problem goes, then you won't understand the solution and why we're gonna be talking about it the way we're talking about it. And really a lot of how we disciple at the church, <laughs> all kinds of things. Because what we're doing here, how we're, how we're going about this, we're not just saying, okay, you know, sometimes you have problems with communication, so let me give you some ideas, uh, what you need to say and how to say it. We're saying you have problems and that should make you go to Jesus and like depend on Jesus and go deep in your relationship with Jesus and go deep into the gospel. Which seems kind of obvious, maybe, and you're like, of course, I mean, this is what pastors always say, and maybe, honestly, your brain just turned off. So we don't, you know, like, even as I say that, I, I'm afraid that sometimes we don't always appreciate how profound the difference what I just said really is. Um, and how incredibly important it is we start here. And so I wanna take some time to press on this whole idea a little, because this is actually a really big point that Tripp makes about counseling, about discipleship, about how to help people, about how to read your Bible. <laughs> and it's really, it's really important. It's not just in War of Words, but it's other places. And it doesn't just have to do with communication. It has to do with the way we think about almost problem, any problem we have. And, so it, and it takes some thinking about, I realize that. So let me read you a longer quote that I think gives context for what he's trying to do in this chapter. Um, and we'll see if we can wrap our minds around it and try to understand it. Th there's a couple of these, um, I typed it out, it's so long if you wanna get it, but he says this. Sometimes it helps to read along. He says, most Christians simply don't understand what the Bible is. They think of it as a spiritual encyclopedia, God's complete catalog of man's problems coupled with a complete list of divine answers. If you turn to the right page, you can find an answer for any struggle. A more sophisticated variation views the Bible as a systematic theology textbook, an outline of essential topics you must master to think God's way. In either case, we tend to offer each other isolated pieces of scripture, a command, a principle, a promise that seem to fit the need of the moment. What we think of as ministering the word is little more than a spiritual cut and paste system. And so how's this applied to communication? It's like, okay, you're having communication problems. What do I do? I guess, uh, let me give you a couple verses on communication that can help you solve that, which sounds good. Why is that a problem? It's a problem, he writes, because this kind of ministry rarely leads to lasting change. It does not bring the power of the word to the places where change is needed. In this kind of ministry, self is still at the center, personal need is the focus, and per personal happiness remains the goal. But a truly effective ministry of the word must confront our self-focus and self-absorption at its roots, opening us up to the vastness of a God-defined, God-centered world. 
Unless this happens, we'll use the promises, principles, and commands of the word to serve the thing we really love, ourselves. This may be why many people read and hear God's word regularly while their lives remained unchanged. And so he's really saying, I know that it might be hard to follow what he's saying, but if you can't follow it, you need to figure out how to follow it. <laughs> like you need to read that over and over, and, and, and this over and over until you understand what he's saying, because it's really key to discipleship, to counseling, and until we can understand this, we're just kind of chatting and not going to be moving forward. But say, I want to teach you about communication and give you a few, and I give you a few strategies. Those strategies might be totally biblical, but if I haven't gotten to the heart, maybe I'm just teaching you how to manipulate others better. You need the strategies, but you need them as part of something bigger. And it's the something bigger part that a lot of people don't really want, honestly. That's where their minds zone out, and they're like, uh, Pastor, just tell me something practical. Tripp says, he says, in personal ministry, there's often a lot of pressure to handle Scripture topically. Usually, you, you're talking with someone facing some personal, relational, or situational difficulty. You want to find out what the Bible says on the subject and apply it to the person's life. So you get out your concordance or topical Bible, scan all the verses on the topic, pick out a few passages that seem most relevant, and share them with the struggling person. And people like that. And, and it's, it's, it's not like that's totally terrible, but the problem is, he writes, he says it strongly, unfortunately, you're misunderstanding what the word is and how it's to be used. And, you're, and he says it like that because you're not really getting to the heart. So he gives an example to illustrate what he means exactly. He says, let's say that you're talking with a wife who's in the midst of an all-out war with her husband. Everything in their lives has become a contest for control. They say remarkably unkind things to each other. He's buried himself in his work and she had found refuge in her children. They spend time with each other only when duty demands it. What's wrong with this marriage? Would you agree that their problems run much deeper than communication, role division, work, parenting, and time management? These issues are the fruit of a much more deeply rooted set of problems. The surface chaos will only change as the transforming power of the word is brought to the roots. Anything less will keep the rebellious, foolish, powerless self at the center, unmoved and unchanged. What the wife wants is a sweeter, more attentive husband. What the husband wants is a kinder, more content wife. These things are not bad, but God wants more for them, more than a better marriage and more than the spouse of their dreams. Need-driven, self-focused, solution-defined ministry may use the Bible, but it's not truly biblical. It distorts what the Bible was meant to do. This error can rob the body of Christ of its vitality and productivity relegating many true believers to lives of long-term immaturity. We must opt for something better. And he's saying, he's saying, look, if we're going to learn how to communicate or help others communicate or really fix any problem, but we're talking about communication, we can't just go to the Bible and say, okay, let me quickly tell you a couple ways to talk more nicely to your brother. Because you do that and you're not getting to the root of the problem. <laughs> And also because that's not how the Bible works. That's not how the Bible works. He explains, the Bible makes a poor encyclopedia. If that's what God intended, Scripture would have been arranged differently and included many volumes. As it is, there are many issues that the Bible doesn't address in a topical fashion. The Bible has nothing explicitly to say, for example, about schizophrenia, ADD, teenagers, or family television viewing. If you try to use the Bible as God's encyclopedia, you'll either conclude that it has little to say about some crucial issues of modern life, or you'll bend, twist, and stretch passages to suit your purposes. 
Either way, you're not getting from the word what God intended. This understanding underlies the frustration many people feel with scripture. We secretly wish that God had made it simpler and just arranged it topically, but he didn't for a reason. The Bible does, in fact, have powerful and important things to say about all the topics above, but it does so in a form very different from what we might expect. For example, the Bible never uses the word teenager, but it does speak with wisdom and practicality to the struggles of this period in life, of life. Without speaking explicitly about many issues I face every day, God in his word gives me everything I need to be who he wants me to be and do what he wants me to do. However, if you want God's full perspective on a particular subject, you cannot limit yourself to the Bible passages that specifically focus on it. The couple immersed in the battle for control will not learn how to break out of their endless cycle of turmoil by studying the standard scripture passages on marriage alone. Without the perspective of the rest of the Bible, those marital passages will offer little help. In fact, they can be used for purposes that are more about what I want than what God ordained. And so what's he saying here? Because this is huge. He's saying, as we look at a particular problem, like right now we're talking about communication, and we take our Bibles, we pick up our Bibles, and we're looking at various passages about communication. And as we do, we can't just extract the principles by themselves. We have to connect those passages back to the bigger story the Bible tells and then we'll understand the principles and how they apply to our lives. Um, so he writes, this is how the scripture differs from an encyclopedia. When I use an encyclopedia, I do not need to read the other articles to understand the one I'm reading at the moment. One article has no connection to another. There are no overarching themes. In the Bible, however, every passage is dependent on the whole, and the whole Bible is held together by independent themes that run through every passage like rebar, the steel rods that reinforce concrete, if I handle scripture topically, I'll miss the overarching themes at the heart of everything else God wants me to say. These themes give me a sense of identity, purpose, and direction that will fundamentally alter the way I think, desire, speak, and act. They'll go to the root of my problems, producing change that lasts. And yeah, this is just like... Uh, Maybe an illustration to help you understand what he's getting at, but imagine you move to a country. I, I'm using this one all the time now, so... Um, please just be patient with me for the next couple months, but <laughs> imagine you move to another country that has a completely different culture than yours. So how do you understand how to live in that country? One way, at the beginning, someone can give you a list of things to do or not do, and you can memorize those and try to, to do or not do them so that you'll look like someone from that culture, and that can be helpful. But if you're really going to be part of that country, and not just live like um, someone from your original country in that country, but really live as if you're, you're like a native, that list is gonna be too superficial. That's why like immigrants and their kids have such a different experience when they come to a country. The immigrant often looks like where they came from, even if they've lived here for like 60 years, where their kids often look a lot more like the country that they grew up in. Because it's not just like a list of say this or say that that enables you to live like a native. Um, you're, gonna need, uh, you're gonna need more than just that list. You're gonna need to understand, like be immersed in their stories. Like what do they believe? How do they perceive life? That causes them to think the way they do and say what they say. And I keep using this illustration, but if a North Korean moves to South Korea, he's got a whole worldview that's different. And so if he's gonna live as a South Korean, he needs more than a new accent. 
Like he can keep working on trying to speak with the South Korean accent, but he's still gonna be an obvious North Korean. Uh, he's gonna have to learn a whole new way of looking at the world, a new story of how the world is. That's gonna be very hard for him to learn. Cause like he grew up singing songs about American bad people, you know, and he's gonna have to build his life up from this new story, which is kind of what we're trying to do as we counsel people. Most people, and this is why even with your kids, guys, they are being immersed in another worldview. Like they're constantly being discipled. I grew up in a Christian family and um, my dad is like a biblical counselor and pretty, was pretty strict. Um, I didn't mind it. I didn't think of it as strict, but I think a lot of people would think he was strict. I still am surprised by how worldly my instincts can be in the way that I think. And I'm like, where did that come from? Like, why do I instinctively think like 90% of people that are my age that came from where I came from? <laughs> uh, it's because I've been discipled in another, another worldview, and so I have to constantly be coming back to the biblical worldview, what God has to say, so that I can think differently, and then that will cause me to act differently. Um, and, that, and, and again, that's, that's, that's where we're trying to get with when it comes to communication in our own marriages, and even as we raise up our children, we're not just trying to say, okay, like, say a nice thing to your brother here now. Here's what you say. We're trying to help our kids view the world like a Christian, like view, understand what they should want in that moment and understand what they're doing as they communicate and think like a South Korean, a think like a believer. And if we're gonna do that, we have to go back to the gospel. We can't just give a list of strategy. We have to go back to the gospel and think about the major emphasis it places on Jesus because ultimately that's who the Bible's about. The Bible's not just a book to tell you how to be nice to people. It talks about communication as part of this big story that it's telling to exalt Jesus. So Tripp writes, the sad fact is that many of us simply are not biblical in the way we use the Bible. Being biblical does not merely mean quoting words from within its pages. Oh man, can I say that 10 times? But being truly biblical means that my counsel reflects what the entire Bible's about. The Bible's a story of redemption and its chief character is Jesus Christ. He's the main theme of the narrative and he's revealed in every passage in the book. This story reveals how God harnessed nature and controlled history to send his son to rescue rebellious, foolish, and self-focused men and women. He freed them from bondage to themselves, enabled them to live for his glory, and gifted them with an eternity in his presence far from the harsh realities of the fall. This overarching story reflects that our problem as human beings is deeper than the individual sins we commit each day, creating the specific problems that complicate our lives. Our deepest problem is that we seek to find our identity outside the story of redemption. If the entire goal and direction of our lives are wrong, we need much more than practical advice to do the right thing in the right situation. If the entire goal and direction of our lives are wrong, we need much more than just practical advice to do the right thing in the right situation. We need a message big enough to overcome our natural human instinct to live for our glory, pursue our own happiness, and forget that our lives are much, much bigger than this little moment of life. Every day in some way we buy the lie of autonomy and self-sufficiency, worshiping the creation rather than the, its creator. It's because our sin problem is so pervasive and so deeply ingrained that we need more from scripture than insight, principles, understanding, or direction. 
an encyclopedic problem-solving approach to scripture is totally inadequate for the true depth of our need. We need something that will change us from the inside out. We need Christ. Only his person and work can free us from our slavery to self and our tendency to deify the creation. Only as we see our story enfolded in the larger story of redemption, we'll begin to live God-honoring lives. And again, I think this is what Tripp's trying to do as he talks about communication in this chapter. We're in chapter three, but he's like, okay, I know you want to get better at this area of your life, hopefully. (laughs) Great. But if that's going to happen... First thing, I've got to help you understand how much help you need. Because you look at the biblical story and you've got to understand we've got a problem that is really, really big. If you look at what we're like as humans, like one illustration is that we can know all the right information and still struggle. Another illustration is the fact that we don't have to teach anybody to communicate poorly. If you just look at how we are, you know, if you just think about how humans work, we're raising babies again. And babies come out not knowing a lot. So they they literally don't know how to talk. And they learn words by imitating. And that's how they learn their accent and their language. But you know what? When it comes to how they speak, there are a lot of things that they know how to do without imitating anybody. So you don't have to teach babies how to use their words poorly. For example, nobody in our family shouts except for Vanessa. And when she doesn't get her way, she'll shout all the time. And nobody cries when they go to bed. But for months, Vanessa would cry literally every time she went to bed. And Marta's a a great mom, so she would work with her on this. She would prepare her for bed. She would talk about how she was to act when she went to bed. She would cuddle with her. She would make sure she was calm and ready to go to bed. She would have Vanessa smiling before they entered the room and laughing and talking about how they're going to go to bed well. And yet for months, the moment Marta walked out of the room, we, well, she would close the door part way, wait two or three seconds, and then what? <clears throat> Vanessa's screaming for months. And that came natural for her, like it did for all of us in one way or another. Because coming out of the womb, we're really selfish sinners who are very good at sinning. We need somebody to teach us how to say words, but we don't need anybody to teach us how to use those words poorly. We don't need training in bad communication because we're sinners by nature, which, of course, is why God sent his son Jesus into the world. And we know this as Christians, right? But are we daily depending on Jesus to help us? Do we feel that kind of need? Are we humbly coming to him? Are we connecting how we talk to others with our relationship with him. I think that's why Tripp is pounding on the problem. He wants you to go to Jesus. He wants you to feel your need for Jesus. How are you going to use your words in a way that honors God? It's like as I look at my sons there, as they grow up, they've got a chance, an amazing chance. That's you, Levi. Yeah, you and Link. Amazing chance to use your words to honor God. But how are they going to do that? They need more than strategies from me. They need more than techniques from me. They need even more than a model from me. They need Jesus. But so often they, I'm sure me, all of us, we don't feel our need in this area. we like, I'm pretty good at talking. And so we don't go to Jesus. And so he kind of preaches the gospel here. And he says, if our problems with communication could be solved simply with more instruction, then guys, God would not have had to become a man to provide salvation for us. I mean, that's a sign that we're really messed up. If we have a problem that God had to become man to fix, 
we know it's a pretty big problem. Um, we just we just minimize our problems. We minimize our problems. We want to feel good and capable, but we're not good and capable. Tripp puts it like this. He says, the fact that the word came in the flesh tells us something very significant about our trouble with talk. Our problem's not fundamentally one of ignorance or ineptness. Not fundamentally, because we know ignorance and ineptness is a problem. We've got a lot of that, but it's not the fundamental problem. It's not the fundamental problem. We were talking with somebody uh, just yesterday about um, complaining, and uh, we were kind of calling it a respectable sin. He was calling it a respectable sin, and I'm like, how is that a respectable sin? Like, how is complaining a respectable sin? Because it's, it's gross. Like, if you think about how amazing life is, like, you don't, you don't deserve, what do you, you don't deserve anything but hell. And, 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 and you get up, and the, every day you should wake up and be like, what? I get another one of these? Like, you should look at your hands and be like, how do these fingers, like, there's so many miracles that are happening in your life every moment. Like, this world is it's ridiculous. It's so amazing. You know, the sun, like, if you never, say you, your whole life was dark, you never saw any, and then you wake up one day, you go outside, and there's a burning ball of flame like hanging in the middle of the sky heating and providing light you would be like what happened but just because you've seen the sun for so long now you need like a green sun or you need like six suns to be amazed but like that thing's amazing and yet God does all these amazing things in our life we can hardly remember any of them but what we can remember is the stuff that seems like hard a little bit hard to us and it's not. It's it's a problem, man. It's a problem. It's a it, it, this stuff is this stuff is serious, and and the Bible is trying to give us a mirror to say, yeah, this is serious. If you go to James three, he says we have a problem inside of us. James shows us how impossible it is for us to solve our communication problems on our own. Listen to the way he describes the depth of our problem in James uh, chapter three, verses five and six. He says like. You know how small a fire can set a forest ablaze. And then he says, that's the tongue. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Like that's intense, right? Imagine the whole course of your life being set on fire by hell. And it's coming from like right inside here. You got this little flame that's constantly going from, that's a problem. And then he says, we can't fix it. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Which has always felt to me like, wow, James, is it really that bad? Like, is it really that bad? Because if it is, what hope is there? <laughs> Which I, is the point. It's important to feel that because we need to know the hope is not in us. James's point is that our, this is what Tripp says, our communication problems cannot be solved by normal human means. Changes in location, situation, education, training, exercise, or the nature of the relationship will not solve the problem. The tongue is humanly untamable. It's a powerful, restless evil that leaves all of us confounded. 
I listened to this guy the other day on the um, on a podcast, and he's an ultra marathon runner, and he's like insane. Like, I mean, he's just so. It was all about like, you know, his self discipline. He's he's um, just pretty proud of his self discipline, and it's it's amazing how he's like nobody knows nobody knows how hard I, I you know it is to extract greatness from a human being like me. Um, so he's really incredibly. Every moment of my life is suffering, he says, every moment. Um, and he is, you know, he'll just go run 100 miles or, you know, he's, it's amazing. But you listen to the way he talks, he definitely doesn't have control over his tongue. Like, you know, cursing, you know, uh, pride. He, he's incredibly self-disciplined, incredibly self-disciplined. The guy has so little control over his tongue because you just, you, you, we can't do it. Can't do. You could have all the discipline in the world, um, but we can't do it. Um, you say, "Well, I won't talk." Well, you have to talk to use your tongue well. So you go into a, a monastery and not talk for twenty years. You failed because your tongue is given to you for healing and and grace to to give to others, which sounds discouraging at first. Like we can't con- we can't solve this by ourselves. But trip is like. You have to see how big the problem is if you're going to understand the solution. There's a problem going on inside of us that results in all these problems between us. And it's not just that. We can go further. There's a problem inside of us, but there's also a problem outside of us. We have an enemy whose name is Satan. There's like a big invisible war going on. And this is part of why Jesus came. Tripp writes, he says, there's a fundamental biblical observation we need to make. The word would not have had to come to our world if our struggle were primarily a struggle of flesh and blood. The problem with our words is an intensely spiritual one, a problem of the human heart. Perhaps you're a wife who's very hurt by the way your husband communicates with you. Or maybe you're a teenager, and it's hard not to feel condemned by the way your parents talk to you. Maybe you're a husband who's bitter over the lack of respect given to you by your family. Each of us has been personally hurt by the words of others, and each of us has spoken words that have stung others. Because of this, it's important to recognize that the war of words is actually the fruit of a greater, more fundamental war, This war is the war of wars. It's what life's about. Paul refers to this war in Ephesians 6 when he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so if we look at our struggles with communication in the gospel, we've got struggles from within, and we've got struggles from without. There's like we're literally part of an invisible war. And so we can't be naive. There's a reason why this is so hard and why it's good you're here talking about this. But seeing this problem for what it is shouldn't discourage us. It should sober us. It should humble us. And it should cause us to run to Jesus and to the gospel for hope and for help, which is where we have to start as we think about communication. If we're going to communicate in a way that honors God and is good for others, we have to look outside of ourselves to Jesus which I don't know, I just am worried. Like, even as I'm saying this now, I'm worried that sometimes for really practically-minded people, that might sound a little theoretical. Like, it's even hard to get people to talk about communication because they think they're good at it. How much harder is it to get people to actually feel their need for Jesus? <laughs> like, so when you're like, you have a problem that's so big, you need to look to Jesus, people are like, are you just giving me religious cliches here? Like... But no, actually, I'm not. I'm not. Learning first to look outside of ourselves to Jesus really matters. Like, it's like being a child. Imagine being a child, and you need to put something really complicated together. 
And so you get this super complicated thing you need to put together. It's like the Lego, um, one of those Star Wars Legos things. And there's all these instructions, but maybe you don't even know how to read. But your dad is there. What do you do? What do you need to be told to do as a child? It's obvious, but you don't always realize it as a child. And you don't probably want to do it. You need to be told the first step to putting this Lego thing together is to ask your dad for help and be willing to rely on him. Because if you don't, and you just try to pick up the instructions on your own, you are going to fail. You can't do it. And yet that's what children like to do. And so saying you need to rely on your dad is not theoretical. It's practical, especially for children who like to do everything on their own. And we're like children when it comes to our problems. We want to do it on our own. We want somebody to give us a few strategies. We want to do it without a relationship with Jesus. You know, We want to give me a few tips, talk nicer, whatever. And yet, you look at the big story the Bible's telling, if you're going to communicate well, clearly you need to rely on Jesus because of how sin has messed you up, but also because your life is part of this bigger thing that's going on. You've got a problem inside of you and outside of you. You're involved in a war. And so as a church, we're, t- we're really, you know, we desperately need to have a, to know what it means when somebody talks about a personal relationship with Jesus. Like, it, we, that needs, we need to know, like, what it means to rely on him and feel our need for him and go to him on a day-to-day. This is not like a big self-help club. You know, this is it's not like just, hey, good at a, like, let's study math together or something, like, we are involved, we have problems that are so big, we have to, we have to rely on Jesus um, because we're part of a war. Tripp writes, he says, life is a war, not with other people, but with spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is what's being played out in the home, the church, the workplace, and the community. This war is what makes each of these situations difficult. We're not fighting only to get along with one another. Far more importantly, we're fighting to withstand the devil's schemes against us. Life is war. A dramatic conflict is underway between the forces of the great speaker and the great deceiver. While God is seeking to root us deeper in his life, his peace, and his truth, Satan seeks to uproot us by deceitful scheming, plausible lies, and cruel trickery. Like all wars, this war is for control. It's a war for our hearts. And if this spiritual war were not going on, there would be no war of words. This amplifies our understanding of the gospel, of why it was necessary for Jesus to come, Jesus, the living word, came as revelation and redeemer so that we would have what we need to stand our ground in the midst of conflict. In ourselves, we're no match for these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Christ came not only as the word, but as the second Adam. The first Adam represented us all, and when he faced Satan, he believed his lies and fell. Christ came as the second Adam, as our representative, to face Satan. He faced his foe. He won. He accomplished a great victory through us, and through his work, he empowers and equips us for battle so that when the evil day comes, we'll be able to stand firm. And uh, you see what he's saying here. As you look at communication, your problem's bigger than you think it is, and the stakes are higher. And we don't want to believe that, you know, like, oh, come on, just in my family, is that, am I really part of this great big war? And, like, we're just talking, we're just chilling out, like, are we really? Well, look at families, man. Look at what words do to families. And you tell me that, like, we're not part of a war, that this is not a big deal. Like, you, you can be naive about it, but words, 
words, it's incredible. It's incredible the damage that everyday speech does to whole lives. So you can say, I, I don't think I'm part of something so big. And Satan can laugh, I think. You know, he can laugh. I got these guys right where I want them, you know, in terms of they're just naive about what's going on. Because, man, families, lives, trajectories of lives are completely set one direction. Churches, you know, everyday talk can take this church one way or it can take this church another way, the relationships in this church. Um, it's not just about you and that person. It's you're involved in a spiritual war. And if you look at what God's calling you to do as a communicator, it's a big calling. He, he's, not, he's, he's, he's wanting you to be an agent of his grace. We could I, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and just get a glimpse of some of the things that God's calling us to. Ephesians is a really cool book. Someday we'll hopefully study, and you have studied, but we'll study Ephesians again. But Ephesians 1 to 3 is like saying the church is part of this huge thing. Like before the foundation of the world, God chose us, and he's doing this incredible thing in the church. And then chapter 4 through 6, he starts to, starts to talk about the way that we talk to one another and our marriage relationships and all of that. And you're kind of like, whoa, did we just come down? off the mountain here, you know, he's talking about this huge thing that God's doing in the church, and now he's talking about wives submitting to their husbands, or he's talking about here how we talk to one another, but they're totally connected, because he's saying God is putting his glory on display through the church, and this is how, through transformed lives, and this is what the transformed life should look like. If, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about uh, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Um, down in chapter, uh, verse 25, he says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Then he goes on and says, be angry and do not sin. And then he says, I love this, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then he tells us uh, to get rid, verse 31, get rid of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, but to be kind, forgiving, tenderhearted. Um, and that all that's huge. And you might look at that and say, there's no way, there's no way that my the communication in my life can be like that. But that's what God wants from us. He doesn't, he wants us to be people who always speak the truth. He wants us to be people whose words actually build others up. He wants us to be people who have no, who never speak with bitterness or wrath or anger, but who are um, always speaking kindly and tenderly. And you say, that's, that's, that, that's, that's too much. It's not too much. It's why Jesus came. And the stakes are high because this is, a big part of what, how he's putting his glory on display through the church is through people who talk like this. Um, and if you look to Jesus and if you look to the gospel, this is where hope for communicating like that's going to come from. It's not our potential. It's in Jesus, his power and his promises. It's because Jesus has come to live, die, and be raised for us that there is hope we can speak 
as God designed. And so maybe let's just think real quickly about the hope that the gospel provides us um, when it comes to how we communicate. We have a problem. Um, we're not able to fix that problem. Jesus has come into the world to provide a solution to that problem. We need to look to Jesus um, and rely on Jesus. And how much hope do we find in Jesus and in the gospel that we can speak the way Paul wants us to in Ephesians chapter 4? Um, and so I just want to say a couple things real quickly. And the first is that because Jesus came into the world, you can learn to speak in a way that pleases him. You can please, you can make Jesus happy with the way that you speak. You can make God happy with the way that you speak. You know, sometimes Christians, um, I don't know, they don't know that they can please God. But you can please God with your words. You can. Uh, it, it, you know, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Think about that. He just talked about being God choosing you from before the foundation of the earth. And now he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to live in a way that's worthy of that. So he wouldn't say that if we can't live in a way that's worthy of that. And then when he talks about living in a way that's worthy of that, he talks about the way that we talk. Colossians 1.10, Paul says, um, he's praying. He says, I, I, verse Colossians 1.19, he says, So from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Listen to this. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says, I'm praying that your life will be fully pleasing to God. And on and on. We can please God or we can grieve God with the way that we talk as Christians. But right now I'm emphasizing that because of the gospel, we can change and grow in this area and learn to speak in a way that pleases God. It is not hopeless. Uh, it's, it's hard, but it's not hopeless. Tripp says um, on page uh, 41, he says, See if I can find it. If see if I can even read it. Um, as a wife, okay, yeah, here we go. In him, we can win the war of words. We do not have to settle for bitter, angry, destructive, divisive communication. We can have high standards and set lofty goals, not because of who we are, but because of what he's done. Okay, so I'm going to be honest here. I need to believe this. Like when it comes to counseling and helping people. Because sometimes when people come for like counseling with their words, it, it can be like, oh my goodness, is this even going to be possible? Like because you just listen to the normal way that they talk and you're like, wow, I don't know. Like if you can't see that is a problem, I don't know. And you're not asking me any questions right now. <laughs> I'm not sure how this is going to change. But I'm wrong. If, he, if that person's a believer and I'm all skeptical like that, which, you know, I can be, I'm wrong. God's right. People can change. <laughs> People can change. We can have high standards and set lofty goals, not because of who we are, but because of what he's done. So we refuse to settle for the status quo, to let the creeping cynicism of hopelessness cause us to give up in the face of struggle. 
No, we live and speak with faith and courage, believing that something better can be achieved because of what he's done. As a wife, you cannot let yourself believe that your marital communication will never improve. In the word, there's hope. As a husband, you cannot give in to your anger and the words that it dictates. There is hope. You know, as a parent, when you're, if you have teenagers, you can't give in to this. If they're believers, you can't just give in to like, okay, yeah, they're growing. You're not like a setup, like you're perfect in how you talk all the time. You need to be patient and all that stuff. Of course, of course, of course, of course, all that stuff. You need to be as patient with them as God is with you. You know how hard it is for you to change all that. But we can't give in and be like, well, our kids just have to talk like the whole world does. No, if they're believers, they can speak with, they can, they can learn to speak in ways that are powerful and, and edifying. God can, God can help them. Um, as a parent, you must believe that you can minister to your children even out of your own hurt and exhaustion because the word has come and with him hope. So we have to ask, do we believe that because Jesus came into the world, we can learn to speak in a way that pleases him? Um, the Bible says so, so we need to believe it. And, I, and we can believe it because the Bible tells us that Jesus has given you everything you need as a believer to live a godly life. And so I know we don't always feel that way, but that's what the Bible says. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire, for this very reason, make every effort. So it says there that God has given us all things. Um, he, he has given us all the resources we need to, to live a godly life. And it's because we know we have those resources that we need to work hard. He's not calling us to do something that he's not giving us the resources to, to do. And specifically, if you step back and just think, you have the Holy Spirit within you. If you're a Christian, you've been born again. You're not who you want to be, but you're not who you used to be. God dwells in you, and he's at work in you to enable you to be who he's calling you to be. Um, Titus 2, 11 through 14, Paul tells Titus. Titus is like in this place called Crete. Cretans are always liars. You know, they're like, this is like a culture that is so severely messed up. And Titus isn't from Crete, so he's probably like tempted to be like, Cretans, Cretans. Even now, we still say that guy's a Cretan, right? So that's like a messed up culture. We don't even probably know where Crete is, but like we say that guy's a Cretan and we know what that means. But like, as a messed up culture, but Paul tells Titus, you get in there and you help the old men live godly lives. You help the old women live godly lives. You help the young, you know, the slaves, all these people you'd never think could live a godly life. He says, I want you to help them live in a way that matches up with truth. And then he tells them, then he tells Titus, because Titus is like, Paul, you know, I can't do that. How am I supposed to do that with these guys? And then he tells them, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, like even Cretans, <laughs> and at training and instructing them to deny self. And he said, you know, but he's saying, you can teach them to do this because God is in, in them, teaching them to do this. So like when you're counseling somebody, if they're a Christian, God's counseling them. Like God's in there. You're just calling on them and trying to help them do what God's at work in their life helping them learn to do. And he's committed to you. He, he has purchased you. Jesus has purchased you for, your, for himself. Um, Paul says, we're memorizing 2 Corinthians 5, 
9 and 10 uh, and 19, he says, for we make it our ambition um, to live please, a life that's pleasing to him, uh, whether at home or absent, um, because we know we have to appear before his judgment seat. And then he says later, he says, and uh, he died so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so Jesus purchased you. You belong to him now, and he has big goals for you. And there's a lot of hope for that. He, Jesus, you belong to Jesus. He's seeking your good. And that means your life is not out of control. And this, again, is why a personal relationship with Jesus is so important for a daily enjoying your relationship with Jesus, seeing him as your master, your friend. It's, so, it's not like I'm just saying words up here. You got to know what we have to know what this means, because like I'm going, what, what are you trying to do? Why do you sin with your words so often? Because you forget that Jesus is your master and you think that your words belong to you. That's one reason. Another reason you, you sin with your words is because you're trying to control stuff through your words. And like you think you have to control your life and the people around you to get what's good for you, and you just feel like this pressure to use your words to make that happen. But if you realize that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you're like, I belong to Jesus. He's sitting on the throne of the universe, and he's in this moment right now, and he's allowed this, this to happen for my good, and so I don't have to like freak out and try to manipulate this situation through the power of my words to get what I want, because Jesus is much better at getting what, he knows what's good for me, and he's much better at getting what's good for me, and so all I need to do right now is focus on how do I be faithful to use my words in a way that honors him, and so that's what I've got to think about. Um, and guys, I, 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 I don't know. I hope I'm not just saying, but that's like really, I hope, you're not, I hope it's connecting because that's like really practical. Um, I can think of situations where I've been in where like um, it, they were frustrating. And I have to go back and think, Jesus, you're kind. And like you've let me be in this situation. You know me. You know what I need. So obviously, this is, this is not just something that's bad. It's something that's, you're, you're not up in heaven saying, oh, no, like, this is for my good. And so, yeah, I have to do something in this situation. Like, I have to act. But I don't have to, like, go into it, like, oh, like, somehow I've got to, through the power of my persuasion and the power of my words, force all these people to just do what I want. Instead, I just need to go into that situation and be like, you know what? Jesus has this. He knows why it's like this. What, what do I need to say right now that will be good for the people around and that will honor, honor him? Um, and when they respond, maybe how, not how I like, I need to go back to Jesus. Be like, Jesus, you're with me in this moment. Like, you, you, you're still seeking my good. You're st- and I'm going to still, my job, is to use my, the words you've given me, not for my glory, but for, uh, but for, for your glory, for, for your honor. This is why you gave me, why you gave me words. Um, because, yeah, our words really reveal um, our worldview. The way that we use our words really reveals 
actually what we believe in that moment. Is life um, primarily about me and what I want and my comfort, or is it about uh, Christ and, and his glory? But, okay, so that's chapter 3. Um, we talked about creation and words. We talked about the fall and words, and now we're just thinking a little bit about the big story of the scripture and words. 